Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Last week, we had the distinct pleasure of having Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show. He has a podcast. He has a book out. He has a world tour yeah, going yeah. on. He, he's very busy. So are we. <laughs> I'm too busy to listen to all of his accomplishments. We had the pleasure of having him on the podcast, having a great conversation with him. And I figure there's a lot of people who are tuning in this week who may not have been here before that episode who might be like, who are these guys? It's the real. Yeah. And the answer is, is it's us. Yeah. We are two brothers who live on the Upper West Side of yeah. Manhattan. Yep. Who for the past uh, four years yep. have been inviting people that we fuck with over <laughs> to our apartment. That's comedians. That's rappers. That's producers. That's music executives. That's sports executives. That's friends of ours. That's our mom. We've had a lot of people up here 258 episodes in. And it's been a really fun ride. We also have another podcast called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. That's with our friends Styles P and Sheik Luch of The Locks. Also Jadakiss. Jadakiss too. Jadakiss is part of it. Yes. And we're hip-hop sketch comedians. We've been around for 12 years, this career of ours. Mm -hmm. Done a lot of things. Worked with a lot of your favorite people. Questlove to ASAP Rocky to J. Cole to Jamel Hill to Angie Martinez. John and, Legend. And on and Vinny on. Vinny from Jersey Shore. Cardi B. And we have this really cool catalog of conversations that we've had that we really hope you'll dig into. They're all available for free right now on iTunes or Spotify or CastBox or Google Play or wherever you're listening to this podcast. So enjoy those episodes. Spread the word on us and hope you enjoy today's episode, which is featuring... Common. Common. Common, who a lot of people obviously know for his music. A lot of people know him for his Microsoft commercials. They, they know him from his acting they also. They know him for his memoir called Let Love Have the Last Word. Which is out right now. Out right now. And he also has a new music coming out. Yeah, he has a new single with Dwele and Daniel Caesar dropping this week. So get excited for that. You know, we have a newsletter that we send out semi-regularly. Could be more regularly. And in that, I said this week that... This is my favorite episode, I think, because Common is someone who was just so easy to talk to. Like There are certain interviews where you'll have a guest who... You have to pull teeth. Yeah, it's, it's somebody who just is more the subject as opposed to an active participant. Common is so easy to talk to, and he's so knowledgeable on so many things. Politics and music and... We talked about his relationship with his daughter. We talked about um, him visiting some jails. We talked about his his hairline. You know, yeah. there's a lot of great stuff in this episode. And by the way, I loved talking about the Wu-Tang documentary with him. Yeah. Like it's that a was, fun, that was... easy interview. And let me just say, for anybody who has not signed up for our newsletter, you can easily do that. Go to itsthereal.com, sign up for the newsletter. That, that's all you have to do. That's step one, go to our website... Step two, sign up for the newsletter. Very simple. Also, I do want to mention this, Jeff. Mm -hmm. We were talking to someone recently, a brother of a friend of ours, who said, hey, I listened to the Trevor Noah podcast. Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's our, our podcast with Trevor Noah, yeah. Right. I, I was listening to your episode of the podcast with Trevor Noah, uh -huh. and are the mugs a real thing? The, Guys. The mugs are so real. We have, we have a shop. At itsthereal.com. Itsthereal.com slash shop. You can buy a mug. We will send you said mug to your house. Wait, what's step one? Step one, go to itsthereal.com slash shop. Okay, step two? Buy the mug. Uh-huh. Step three? 
drink from the mug. <laughs> well, you don't have to drink from it. Like, oh, you can step, put it on a step shelf. Three, yeah, step three is optional. <laughs> you can do anything with a mug. So step step one. Step one. Go to itsthereal.com slash shop. Yeah, and step two. Is buy the mug. Buy the mug. It's a real thing, guys. Yeah, then, then it's my step one yes. for that would yeah. be get your order, yeah. and two, I send it out. That's <laughs> Every, it. Everything is so simple. People just overthink things, you know? Yeah, it's everything is two steps. <laughs> well, Jeff, once it's, people it's do like, that. Yeah, it's like how uh, in, there's something about Mary, like seven is the magic number, and you <laughs> yeah. can't imagine anything like six. Yeah. Two steps, that's it. That's it. That's it. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Well, step one, wait for the me to say, and then step two, now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Baby Bjorn, a.k.a. Backpack Rap. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Stop Sleeping On Me, a.k.a. The Guy in the Middle Seat. <laughs> Yo, what's up? It's Common, a.k.a. The Rebel, a.k.a. Ball-Headed Wonder, a.k.a. Light Skin Freaky Man. <laughs> yes, your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. Oh man, life is energetic, life is beautiful, man. I'm feeling great. How you guys doing? We're wonderful, thank you. We're yeah. very tan, we're here in LA. That's right. Yes. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> LA can do that too. Don't, just don't go to the tanning salon. No, you know? no. We don't take it to that level. Here's no. what we do. We go to Denver, where we were last weekend. Yeah. We ride around on bikes and get sunburned. That's how okay. we get tanned. Okay, that's how you do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it the natural way. way. I'm, I'm into the natural <laughs> thing. Don't then, get me wrong. And then for the rest of the year, I stay inside. That's right, yeah. Calm, we were trying to do this episode for a few weeks now i'm glad we're finally able to make it happen but you my friend have been running ragged you've been out here promoting your book you got your album coming you have been on tv everywhere you have been just on every platform how tired are you you know what i i get so like geeked about what i'm doing meaning i care about this so much i don't even feel tired you know i did get sick really quick but i was like I'm fighting through this sickness, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm promoting this book, which really means a lot to me. Let love have the last word. Yep. And then the album is something that I haven't put out an album that I really focused on in a long time. So the album is called Let Love, and um, it's like, man, I can't help but be excited to do. Like, I can work all day and all night doing stuff I love. Yeah. And that's what I feel like. That's what all, all I'm doing. So yeah. I'm, I'm geeked. Like. Fact, I get to sit here and chop it up with y'all, man. We could talk all day about music, book, uh, life, and I'm with it. We're with it too. Yeah. So, so your book is called "Let Love Have the Last Word." What is the actual last word that is in your book? <laughs> <laughs> the last word is, and the and the journey continues. So, I'm talking about. I'm saying that to say, like, man, no matter where you are in your life, you always still on a journey. And like, even when I feel like I got things like in order it's still like you still learning like every day i want to get better mm-hmm. yeah you know every day i want to grow so well, which you talk about in your book i mean like you know your relationship with your daughter yeah how you were like i'm a i feel like i'm a good dad yeah. and she felt a little bit differently she bust that bubble she was like man she gave me a call late one night i thought it was like a a good call because it's like late at night she don't usually call me that late and she was she had been drinking and i was like man she called me it's, you know, just sharing this time with her dad. And, man, she just started telling me that she didn't think I was a good dad. And I was like, whoa. And I was a little angry and at the same token hurt. And then I told her, you know, let's talk about it when she was sober. And and then we talked. And it just was like she poured out her feelings, man. But it taught me a lot. After I got through being defensive and being like, yo, let me tell you the reason. I I really just kind of 
was still for a second and just decided to listen to her. And it really taught me about like practicing love because some of that is just listening to people. Sometimes you got your own perspective and they got their perspective and their perspective is not wrong and neither is yours sometimes, but it's still like you owe it to them to, to pay attention. Your daughter recently graduated college yeah. and you were there for that. What is that feeling like as a parent to watch her cross that stage? Man, to watch her cross that stage was like, Thinking like, man, she has worked very hard to get here. And she's had an incredible su supporting cast, like her mother, my, myself, all her grandmother, cousins. And we all felt that joy of just seeing her go across the stage. And I'm like, man, my daughter, like, who I, three years old, I was just holding her on stage. We tripping out, <laughs> having fun. Now she is walking into another level of life. That's what it was like. And I saw her joy. She was turning up like, ah, like, you know, so I'm like, man, it just was great to see her in her in her element feeling proud and happy. You started off at Florida A&M. Yeah. When you went there, what did you want to be? You know, I uh, was studying, I was studying business administration, right? I didn't know what I wanted to do, like, but I knew I was good in math. I was good you know, when I I was a great academic student, to be honest. Like I got all A's my second semester um in at FAM. And um so I was like, okay, I might be somewhere in the business administration level, whatever job I find in that in that facet. But it deep in my heart I was like, Man, I'm a I'm a hip hop artist. I wanna this is my dream. I'm going for this. At a time when like nobody was really like actually like there weren't that many rappers like now it's very casual to be like oh i'm a rapper i'm a dj everybody's a rapper you know i'm a <laughs> yeah. i'm an instagram yeah. cartoonist like all these yeah. things like, but it's also easy to get signed now right and like yeah. everyone understands that they're like cool i can rap and that can lead to me being in movies or that yeah. can me lead to me writing a book or i can be on tv or whatever people want to do be a chef but back then like what do your folks think when they're like oh, i mean he's getting into like music my mother was like what the hell are you doing bro like she was like because she didn't even know I rap, really. It was just something I was doing for my pursuit. You know, long as I was taking care of my grades and wasn't getting in too much trouble, she was good. Yeah. So I, when I told her I wanted to leave school to rap, she was like, you tripping. Like, you doing good in school. You got financial aid. Life is good for you. What are you doing? And, and I just basically was like, look, Ma, this is my dream. This is something I've been wanting to do. And she's like, wait, how long have you been wanting to do this? Because I don't, didn't know about this. And she said, look, I'm going to give you a year, mm. a year to make this happen. And realistically, it wasn't going to take just a year. Yeah. But my pursuit was was relentless. Well, how far within that year? Like, what was the first time we were like, oh, this actually is happening? Well, here, like that you were getting traction, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, in all truth, the illusion that was happening was... When I first heard my song on the radio, you think you made it. Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Where was that? Your was video. that in Chicago? I was in Chicago. And, and like it was a station we used to listen to called WHPK. It was like University of Chicago College Station. When they first played my song, it was like, yo, I'm, I'm on the same station that I learned. That's where I first heard Wu-Tang. That's where I heard... Audio 2 and MC Light. I heard De La Soul from this station. I'm on the same station as them. I'm thinking, man, I made it. But, dude, and I remember <laughs> sitting in a hotel, in a Best Western hotel, seeing my video being played on something called The Box. Yeah, it was yeah. like The Box. And I was like, man, this is amazing. I'm, I'm like, 
I thought I had made it. But little did I know from that point on, the work that I did to try to get my record heard, played, video played, was phenomenal work. And it still didn't get my record to, like, radio. Yeah. yeah. It still didn't get so. I knew at that point I hadn't made it, but I was taking the steps. And I had to get, what, what I told myself is I got to get better as an artist. Yeah. Like, I got to be, be a better MC because I remember Tribe Called Quest did Midnight Marauders, and they put all, like, they put the far side. They put Souls of Mischief. They put, you know, all these great artists that was in my but you peer group. There, yeah. But I wasn't on there. I was like, man, I got to step my game up. And well, that was really Was there anybody factor. that you were just like, I should be there instead of that person? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was kind of more like, it was some people, but I need to think about who those people were. But but regardless, I was like, I should be on there. And that's what, that you know, I, I don't know. Athletes always talk about it, but I, I feel like, Artists do too sometimes talk about like, man, you use that fuel to to get you going where people yep. deny you. Yep. Yeah, that that's what I felt like. Well it's either that, that or like horse tranquilizers. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Well how yeah, how long did you have a chip on your shoulder for? I mean, it was that was the I would say for the whole album of resurrection, that had part of part to do with it. But then I I really believe in operating more from a place of like I'm doing this because I love it, not because mm-hmm. I'm about to prove y'all wrong. Um, so, but is that is that new like you know uh, enlightened common or is that back in the day common? That was this is more new, new common. But at the same token, when I was writing songs, certain songs, it was because I was like, I'm dope, and it it was the chip on the shoulder. That 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 was a straight chip on the shoulder. Like I gotta let y'all know I'm dope because y'all haven't acknowledged me. See me like. I'm coming from Chicago. Right. Like, it's no, not like I, Chicago today. Not, no, nah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like Chicago. To, Chicago today got artists, man. And it's like a, a well-rounded group of artists. At this time, it was only Twister. I mean, it was coming out with records on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. National level, it was Twister and then me. Mm-hmm. So it was like, man, I got to show y'all that, like, I need Biggie. I need Dayla. I need Nas. I need these people to know who I am. Yeah. And that's what that was part of the motivation. What um, was your first time meeting Twister like? Uh, meeting Twister, it was dope because he was uh, he was he was still just just cool. He always been cool, but it was like, man, this dude got a record out, and he's <laughs> like, I I sent my demo tape to that label, and they ain't signed me, so it was kind of a little bit of envy slash like, yo, you've made it all, like yeah. you got a record out, and this was at a time where I was like about to come out, mm. so um, he was always. Cool, it's still been cool. I had a festival in Chicago called the I-Fest where I had like all these artists perform from Kanye um, to, at the time, SZA. This before she kind of really yeah. took to the level. Um, Jay Electronica. And then I had a whole section where it was like Lupe performed, then wow. Twister and Do or Die was incredible. Oh, man. So Twister, Twister rocked that joint and it was like, man, I, you know, you kind of appreciated all these Chicago greats. Yeah. Do you remember when you first met John Monopoly? Well, funny enough. I'm, you haven't met him? Wait, who are y'all talking about? Mustache. Yeah, that's what he looked like. <laughs> yeah. Mustache, yeah. Nah, but Monop, I got a lot of respect for Monop. I'm, my manager and Monop grew up in the same neighborhood. So I kind of knew Monop before he was John Monop. Yeah. You know, um, and then... When he was John Doe, yeah, basically yeah, he yeah. started, and he, but he was always on his business. He was 
he's similar to my manager whose name is Derek. Yeah. Um, these dudes was just like business oriented type dudes. Well, so, so were you. You I, went to college for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I learned that that was something I knew I had to do to like I'm for me, I'm a achieve I'm a achiever. I like to achieve in life. I wanna grow and get better. So I was gonna excel at in business, but when I look at it, it's not really my innate thing. I feel like I'm more created to be an artist and to be and you know, when I say artists, like all the art, like acting, music, you know, the things that I do artistically, I feel like I'm more that's more natural for me than it is than business administration. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you're still rapping? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I let, you know, with with the awareness, I understand you I gotta be aware of the business cast that I'm working with, but I but meaning I let Derek and my team handle their things. You know, like to me any good business person, leader, whatever you may be, principal in the school, you got to know how to appoint people that are sharper than you in, in the areas that you're not. Yeah. And um, you can learn from them, but you got to trust in them. Chicago back then, like we said, is not like Chicago today. Did you feel like you had to go like harder to even get the attention of anybody in New York, in L.A., just to be heard? Man, we had to go extra hard, bro. Like... I remember opening up for KRS-One, and man, these people was throwing pennies at me. And I was like, damn. And my nature is to like fight back at that point, but I didn't. I just kept trying to rap, and like I, I rapped through it. And, and, you know, being from Chicago, it wasn't like the East Coast was embracing us. The West Coast was more like open to, like, you know, because New York was the mecca of hip-hop. They like, look, we ain't... We, I don't care where you're from. We ain't hearing that. But eventually, it just kind of the walls started to break down when they hear that you dope. You go out in places, you freestyle. And don't get me wrong, even Sway and Tech told me when I came to their radio station, and they was like, man, we got this artist from Chicago. Sway always be like, he was like, man, who is this cat from Chicago? And I had Damn. to go up there. I had to prove, like, yo, we rhyme in Chicago. We, we, we are MCs. We dope. Like, check. So it was a lot of. I actually named my first album Can I Borrow a Dollar. Right, which is why people were p- throwing pennies at you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They was like, look, bro, you, you said you want some money. Look, this is, we're going to do this bit by bit, penny by penny, pow. But, uh, yeah, so that was me saying, like, hey, can we get a piece of the action? Mm-hmm. That was my whole little philosophy behind that, besides me being on the, on the campus asking for dollars and when I was at FAMU. Yeah. That was, both of those reasons was the name of that album. Uh, Florida A&M. Mm-hmm. A stands for agriculture. What's the M for? Mechanical. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. go there, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, we, I must say it was, um, it's a historical black college yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think, you know, you you are welcome there. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> but, my but, stroll uh, is crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but um, you know, I just, I just spoke at the commencement um at the commencement ceremony at this graduation like this year. And I saw some white cats in the crowd and I was I was in, I was like, yes, we Florida and them is embracing everybody. Yeah, finally, yeah. white men getting <laughs> yeah. getting the opportunity. Yeah, get the opportunity to in get this a country. good education. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, finally. Well what'd you think when you saw um Beyonce's Coachella set for the first time? Um I actually haven't seen the set, but um not I, even on Netflix or anything? No, no, wow. I haven't seen Do you been need my password? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, give it over. Y'all gonna be like Y'all gonna be trying to watch it, be like, damn, he on our shit. You know? <laughs> but um, I, I've heard a lot about it, and, and I hear it was phenomenal. And I know that she brought a lot of attention to the historical black college movement, which I think is super important. 
And for me in our community, it's like, man, it's important that we have young people that are interested in those universities. Because, man, I've witnessed through my own experience, like, what it taught me as a young black kid. Like, to be in a setting that's, like, based in education and academic and it's still cultural, it's even done a lot for my daughter. She graduated from Howard. It's like, I can see the difference in who her learning, who she is on that academic level. Because we learn in our neighborhoods, like, yo, this you ain't got to be spoon-fed that I'm black and this is the things that you experience but it's a different thing learning the culture of it and stuff like that but, but I did see the Wu-Tang documentary that crazy was right that well. thing was yo. Well, who do you think is the villain in all of it or who do you think like you know failed the group um I just think more than anybody one person I think it was like y- young dudes who like at a certain point just weren't on the same level of business. Like, yo, okay, yo, this this they, they this company's been started by RZA and and his brother and the the conglomerate, and you're going to give a percentage to somebody, um, but it probably feels like exploitation that you're giving a, um, a percentage to somebody who you know you've known y'all help build the thing, but it's really not exploitation. But then it's also some things where RZA. You know, it was like, yo, I gotta gotta be able to let them go if they're ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I'm saying that to say, look, I when to my first check I got for my album deal was five thousand dollars. Relativity. I split relativity yeah. records. I split it three ways between my well, kind of four ways between my producers. Twilight Tone and No ID. And, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then the uh, Jesus was the second set of footprints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that, that you know, later came back that they weren't, weren't happy with the way it was split and hmm. these things. And, and my point is, we just, I didn't know, I just was doing what I knew. I didn't know the, 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 the way business functioned. I think when I watched the Woo Doc, some of it was just like, man, this, this guy risen them know how the businesses functions, and uh, and some of the other brothers know how the businesses function, but they don't see it like as a fair shake. So this is how it's gonna go down. I'll tell you this much though: that documentary was dope. I watched it like straight through. I yeah. loved it. Unbelievable. We have a friend who uh, went to a screening and they showed the first two episodes, and he looked up and saw the credits. He's like, "Wait, like that's how it ends? Just right, to find right, right. the boat? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, that thing, yeah, because it, it was like an art flick. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Where you pissed off like yeah, why did yeah, it end no, like yeah. that. <laughs> Sopranos but, but but um I thought that you know it did a great job at it it, it it making you want to see the next episode. Oh yeah. And um it was terrific. Well also so you know this is at a time when there weren't a lot of like photographers around you know these different groups and everything or, or artists yeah. Do, like did you have anybody following you around to get footage or no? No, I didn't start that till like late 90s early 2000s and that was part of that was being around Erica Badu and her she always kept somebody filming hmm. like, and it was like oh I, I probably need to do this too man you know yeah. and, I, and I ended up doing that but the fact when you did see them recording cream or can it be so simple oh man the fact that they documented this stuff was just made that it's wild yeah like, you're just like how did you like even think to have somebody following you at all this time I mean that's you know, I had to fortunate. Fortunately, I worked with RZA on. We were producing a show together that never. It, we never um, ended up bringing it into fruition. We actually sold it called Black Samurai. I was 
starring in it. And um, were you the Black Samurai? Yeah. Whoa. Black oh, yeah. Samurai, man, yeah. it was dope. But um, but we never brought it into fruition. But I just got to see how brilliant that dude is, and you see his brilliance, man. Because to take a, a nine artists and be like, yo, we are not all going to sign to the same label, and we're going to. I'm going to distribute this. I see this artist's method on Def Jam. I see the mm-hmm. ODB on a lecture. This is my vision. Man, that that, that was that broke the mold, man. Of, Certainly. Of, and, and set a new precedence for, for what we could do as, as artists and yeah. business conglomerate. Yeah, I just feel like when Divine says, he's like, yo, like Ray and I used to be best friends and business got in the way. That's that's the real like bummer of it all, you know? Yeah. Like, like really money can get in the way of, of true friendship. Yeah, I mean, you know, I... Uh, I really, because that happened for me at a certain point growing up, like some of the guys that wanted, that, that I grew up with, I really love in, in my life. They friends of my, they they wanted certain opportunities that I just wasn't able to offer. And some of it was just like being on a project. And I'm like, well, you rap good, but not good enough to be on this song. And it's kind of like, it interfered a lot with, you know, and to the point where we got to fighting with each other. And, um, it, it you it takes time and, and, and understanding to know like man when you're doing business with people that you are friends family each person got to be bringing that the weight to the table mm-hmm. their weight and and you know I learned a lot of things from that it wasn't anybody's fault it wasn't like they wasn't worthy of doing business but they at the same token they had to bring something to the table and I had to see that in them to be like yo this person can do this job when you signed to Relativity Records was Fat Joe already there. Um, no, he was signing around the same time. Um, it, they had a group called Rough House Survivors. Um, uh, Pete Rock was producing them. Um, Fat Joe was just signing. Yeah. I think I was the second act after, I don't know if it was Chi Ali mm. was their first act. You know, I actually got signed to, to Relativity because they were doing an unsigned hype tape with The Source. Yeah. And on that tape was... All these unsigned artists, including Biggie, Mob Deep, and like it was some dope artists, <laughs> but they ended up never going through and following through with the tape. Um, but the A&R, Peter Kang, heard my stuff and was like, he heard it, you know, because I was part of the tape and was like, I think we still want to sign this artist. And they actually flew me up to Chicago. I just got to college. I just landed. My I remember my manager calling me. I called him back on the payphone. <laughs> he was like, "Yo, Relativity want to meet with you, dude. You know how geeked I was because we sent our tape to every. You know, yeah. you would just look on the back of records and send your music, your yeah. demo. So that was a, which is an expensive process. It's an expensive process, but man, we had them. It's like applying uh, for colleges, exactly. And and to wait to sit there and actually think like, a, to wait on a response was like heart. I bet, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, everything happened in in this order that it should. Fat Joe was on the label. And then eventually, um, um, Bone Thugs and Harmony got signed because they were Easy E's whole label was over there. And I remember I told, um, I was telling, I think I talked about this, where I walked into the label's office and they had a list of the artists and they had, like, Bone Thugs and how many records they sold. Number one, Fat Joe. How many records he sold? Number two, and then me. Number seven. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was like, damn. This lets you know exactly where you are. They, they really, um, it really 
at that point, I understood it was a business. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I said, oh, really, I'm a product to them. And I got to just push my art the way I need to because it's I'm a product. Yeah. Well, how'd you feel years later when Jay would, you know, name check you and said like... Truthfully, I want to rhyme like, like common, common sense. sense. Sold yeah. five mil and I rhyme like common, common sense. sense. Yeah. And then... Jay goes, later. yeah, and works with no ID, just yeah. like Common Sense, and does an album that is touching on a lot of topics like Common, common Sense. sense. <laughs> what did you think when Jay said the line, and then what did you think all these years later when he was working with Dion? Yo, when he said the line, I was, like, excited because <laughs> dudes that really didn't, like, that looked at me like, oh, Common Sense is just this artsy hip-hop dude. For Jay-Z to just name-check me and be like, I, I really wanted to rhyme like that, too, was, like, they were looking at me a little different, like, wow, this dude must be dope. Let me pay attention. You know, when somebody like Jay-Z says your name in a, and even though he was like, but I ain't rhyming like that because I'm making this money over here. Right. Um, I, I just took it as a victory, to be honest, more than anything. Yeah. I was honored more than anything. Um, and I don't mind to be in the butt of a joke sometimes. You know, I got a sure. sense of humor. Yeah, so. yeah. So, but, but, so I took that, and I was, I was geeked that he said that. 20, 20 years later, I was just like, Listening to 444, like, man, they made a really dope piece of art, like, that's really soulful. And, like, and I think the thing about soul music is when you're really coming from your soul, you're really not copying anybody. You're just telling your soulful story. So it did have, you know, the tones of it, or it had the element of the way I, you know, I rap about heartfelt things, For and sure. what's going on in my soul. I'm a soul artist in, in that way. And I think Jay-Z just rapped from his soul and wasn't like, he wasn't trying to be too cool for anybody. He wasn't trying to be, he just, man, was like, look, this is what I've been through. This is the, the places I failed. I've like, and I and I really appreciate it. I think it's one of his greatest albums. It really is. And how about uh, paying for all those samples? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 I guess he could do that, though. I know, yeah. Like, I mean, when he weighs out things, he's probably like, Oh, I could pay for these samples, man. You know, cause yeah, he'll buy the masters. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Basically, I mean, he's such a uh, um, intelligent businessman in person. And and you know, one thing I liked about also that what he created in his movement was um, not only was he introspective, but he talked about things that some people don't talk about. Like like he was talking about. He said, I don't know if you referenced it in a rap, but he was talking about therapy and things yep. like that. Mm -hmm. That I was like. Man, this is amazing that this dude is so successful, that's so like known as the charismatic and the king of things. Yeah. Is talking about how he's working on himself through therapy. I thought it was a real opening for for the culture. And for sure. Ways. And you were also going through therapy at the same time. Yes, that's why I really was like, man, it's great to hear somebody not afraid to talk about it. And it just let me know, man, sometimes it's like, man, I'm on the right path, man. I see somebody who is very successful doing that thing, but they still know you got to work on yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what really was my choice was like, man, I got these great things going on, but what about, you know, how do I feel? How does my heart feel? How does my, how are my emotions? Where, because as much as I want to be one of the greatest artists ever, I also want to be one of the greatest people ever and yeah. be happy while I'm going through this, this stuff. Yeah. How, well, did how does you... one measure that? Yeah. Like, who do you think are like some of the greatest people that you've met? Um, I think some of the greatest people I've met are people like Michelle Obama, but like that's a light flex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, oh her, yeah, 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 you know, Oprah. Yeah, you okay. know? 
Nelson Mandela. <laughs> 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 you know, but but uh, but the truth is, I mean, the reason why I can say honestly, all three of those people um, is because not only what they have done out in the world, but what. You know, I, I, I really try to, when I meet people, I try to connect with them as human beings. I don't, whether you are Nelson Mandela, which I, who honor, God bless his soul. Or, or We're a humble so. podcaster. Yeah, you that's know, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I can sense that, you know, the, that it was not a lot of anxiety when I was getting to talk with Michelle Obama. And it was a lot of sincerity in a way, you know, like, Somebody is at that level, but they still treat people with respect. Most people that you see treating people with respect, they got to be happy with themselves to a certain degree. Because usually when you see the divas or something, there's some other stuff going on, or divos, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Or the, well, divo the, is the, the rapper. whippet band. Yeah, 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 rapper. yeah, yeah. I just love yeah. that. I love that song. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes when you see a cat walking around like he the shit and like, oh, man, I'm, yo, you know, you can't touch me. It's it's got a, it's it's some insecurities in there like that that it's portions of unhappiness. What I'm saying is, it's hard to hate or treat people bad when you really love yourself and when you're feeling good. We have a friend named Della who told us that hurt people hurt people, and that's like the realest thing. That's the realest thing. So it's also a really good Instagram caption. That is, that's <laughs> true. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I mean, with that being said, it's like I've been around people who are successful. That I can still see. It's a lot of hurt going on, mm-hmm. and it, it don't feel like happiness. And then I've been around people that may not have. Look, I've been to Cuba, and Cuba was, I say, is one of the richest, poorest places I've been because the spirit and the energy of the people was so alive. But they financially didn't have what we have, but they was happy. Yeah. Overall. How has your friendship changed with the Obamas since they've left office? Well, I, um, I think, you know, it's just I get to – like bond with them, bond with them in a little different way. It's like not as much um, pomp and circumstance. Resp- yeah, yeah, exactly. Of um, and you know we actually have talked about doing film work together, like because they got a production company, and you know it's just like shoot, it's a lot of responsibility. None of us have had that responsibility of being the leader of the free world and being the first lady. I could feel you know it's some weight off their shoulders yeah. too, mm-hmm. and um. And I actually feel like we, like their mission, I'm able to support their mission even more because they're getting less resistance outside of the White House than they, like the programs and stuff they're doing, the Obama Foundation, the museum, Mrs. Mrs. Obama, like it's like people not opposing, they just trying to do good in the world. So, you know, I feel like they, they know they've served their time in that place. Now they can help in other ways and they feel a little more less weight on their it shoulders. It should not be said enough that they served this country for eight years perfectly and, and above what was expected of a regular president and first lady. Well, and President Obama did wear a khaki suit. Oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really questionable. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Man, I mean, khaki suit and what and we it, got now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yo, it's, it's By the way, I saw him, uh, 45, wearing a khaki, like ill-fitting khaki <laughs> pants yeah. like in Britain. And I was just like, God, he's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah, the yeah, worst. It just was like, not only was you not agreeing with his political and like this moral views, but she was like, damn, dude, your dress is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> just like roast the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was the first time going to the White House like for you? Man, it was like, 
one of those things where I'm like, man, I was trying to take in everything about it. Meaning, okay, this, I'm going to the White House, but I'm going to meet the, f I mean, not meet because I had met President Obama, but I'm going in there to see the the first black president like and his wife and and the first lady and just be able to be in the moment. I, I mean, and eventually I think that I was drinking wine in the White House and I'm like, was it red or white? Red. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good red too. Yeah, yeah. I look. One time I left left out of the White House. I don't even remember what happened. <laughs> like meaning I dr I drank that much. Yeah. But but um, overall, man, it was just like that first time was just it just kind of blew my mind that I was even invited. And then one time, the next time I was invited, or one of the other times I was invited. Man, it was a lot of hoopla, like Bill O'Reilly and all uh, these people. Was, that was for the second time? That was, yeah, that was close. Because the first time you performed, I thought. Yeah, I, yeah. first time I performed, like I performed at the Christmas tree lighting before, and then mm -hmm. I did something else. And then maybe it was the third time I was there when I was coming, they were like Bill O'Reilly and Sarah Palin were like, yo, Common is a vow rapper and blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there like. You're like, I'm an author. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, I was like. Wait, Sarah Palin know who I am? What the hell? She somebody must have told her because I it wasn't like I don't know if she knew common <laughs> raps, man. You know, but the point is, I was I knew I was being used as a like kind of like getting caught in the crossfire political yeah. um, craziness. So the White House actually reached out to me and was like, "Yo, we still are. We still want you to know we got your back. You still coming? We not being detoured by what they're talking about." And fast forward to the last time I was at the White House, it was an amazing performance where it was like, it was this BET thing we were doing, and it was like the Roots were playing, the the band they were the band, and they we had everybody from Usher to De La Soul to the Roots performing all these songs. I performed songs with Yolanda Adams, and man, Dave Chappelle was there, and it just was like, this is incredible. And then D-Nice DJed, the night and was playing Mob Deep and I mean I was in the White House like people was dancing to Mob Deep and and MOP in the White House crazy I was like man this is amazing bro did you think when you were there of like all the history and and how far this country had come to that point while you were in there I did I mean but I thought about how far we have come because you know when you walk around it's so much history you seeing portraits of presidents and, and people who've, you know, affected this country and who you know would have never thought that they would see this many people of color in the yeah, White House. Yeah, Um And you're like... Well, in, as invited guests. You're as right, invited yeah. guests, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you yeah, yeah. for clarifying that. That's what... Like, I literally remember sitting around a table. It was a meeting that President Obama had had with some of uh, his team and us different artists from Rick Ross to um, Nicki Minaj to J. Cole yeah. to Ludacris to Alicia Keys and Janelle Monae. It was a really a good conglomerate. We were talking about the criminal justice system and yeah, reform. Yeah. And I remember looking at a picture of George Washington and I was like, man, he would have never imagined this many people would be in here talking about these things. Like you're saying, like yeah. not, a, not as servants. Yeah. Right. But as invited guests that are really coming up with ideas on how to change criminal justice reform, that was the last thing that would be on their mind. But it was it just showed me the progress. But then, you know, 
we also knew that it was a lot of work to be done, and that's where we are. Well, where were you uh, for the following election? Um, I was actually at an election event um, that I was being paid to do, and I was taking in an event, and basically, I don't know if you all saw that Saturday Night Live skit that Dave Chappelle did, Yeah. yeah. but my experience was almost exactly that, like, this is not happening, well, this ain't gonna happen, oh my God, this can't happen, to, oh shit, what are we doing in the world, to, damn, the world is fucked up right now. Like, this is tough. Like, this is strange. And I really woke up that next day with a, like, a, a weight on me. And during that election night, I was really, like, thinking, because most of the people around were really, like, no, this is not going to happen. We know that. And I just didn't believe that that was going to happen. I, like, many of us didn't believe it. But some did. And I think, you know, after getting over the pains of, that happening and where we are in the world, I just was like, man, you got to buck up, bro, like telling myself and go out and do the work because if you do the work, then you're going to be helping to not allow this to happen again. But if you just folk continue to focus on like the Trump administration and what they continue to do, I mean, you got to be aware, but if I continue to just be like, I put all my energy towards that, then I'm not going to be doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing for the people. Right. And yeah. by the way, there's a lot of people out there who think that like the work is just tweeting, tweeting something, you know, <laughs> but actually like being a part of the process and actually like moving things in a positive direction is what people really should be doing. Man, I, I like, I think a tweet is only one act in, and it's, and it's like, it's a saying about sayers and doers. Tweeting is being able to say, and there's nothing to matter with saying that's a, that's probably the first step in a lot of things, or at least the second, you got to think it and then say it, and then you act on it. And the act, and that act is like, man, that takes activity. That takes work. That takes, like, the ups and downs and, and the research and, and, like, understanding and being in the mix, being proximate. As Brian Stevenson says, you be in proximity of, play, of people and things. And I felt like my duty was like, man, I got to find out who the people are on the state and local level who I can support. And then eventually on this next presidential go round, really identify the people who, you know, and make that awareness out there. But it's that work that you're saying is like, it's gotta be policy work that it can't just be like, I'm gonna tweet about it, Instagram about it, and march about it. Those are really important steps to bring in awareness. Or I can't just make songs about it. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like that's not where, that's not where I am and that's where I feel like we as a country have to be part of the action now. Hey guys, there is a wild rumor around right now that our mean mugs that Jeff designed and were manufactured for us and are only available at itsthereal.com slash shop are not real. Who has started this rumor? Erica Ramirez's brother. <laughs> so that he didn't know if we were selling mugs. They're really available at itsthereal.com slash shop and you can go get yours right now. By the way, just go and check out the fact that they are real. I don't like the fact that people think it's not real. Of all the things that you can make up about us, I know. The idea that we are not selling mugs what a, is, what a is flagrant absurd falsity. It is offensive. That, that that's the worst part, you know. We're out here trying to sell some mugs. We are and people think that we're not trying to sell mugs. It's frankly disrespectful. So, you want to know what? Make us feel good. 
Go to itsthereal.com slash shop. If Buddy wants to apologize to us, I would honestly, I, I think that's what, that's what you should do. I don't know if I would accept it, but I would accept him going to itsthereal.com slash shop and buying a mug. Balls in your court, Buddy Ramirez. And now back to the podcast. I know that you and uh, Stacey Abrams are quite close. How much have you been talking about her as she's like tried to figure out what she's going to be doing for her next steps? I mean, I'm, we've been like consistently saying whatever things we can do together, let's do them. Because when I I went and you know stomped for her and and I was like, man, this woman is really phenomenal. I heard her speak and I was like, man, this is a big step to be down in Georgia, like really getting some traction as a, as a political candidate for governor. That's amazing. Like, and, and I felt like though the victory wasn't there, like as far as the votes go, it was a lot of victory in what happened for her. And I, and I wanted to be also part of like the continuation of that, not just during election time, show up and be like, I'm here and then move away. It's like, what can we do to, to activate people and educate and like, you know, get people in engaged to be a part of this process. So when it's time, when the time does come around, or the candidates that are running now and, and whatever parts of the election, we there through the whole process. So we definitely are, are building on ideas. Um, like like I said, I started making songs like the song I made for Thirteenth, which is called Letter to the Free. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I can't just rap about it. I got I started going into prisons and. Um, in in California mm-hmm. to like you went to four of them yeah I went well I actually went to eight like eight prisons in the state of California and just met with women and men in prison and just talked and saw what some of the things they needed then we went back and did concerts then we went to meet at the at the Capitol with a lot of legislators and got some bills passed so it's been like some really like me being a part of Selma and. Those things like that, I really got to see what people of the civil rights movement did, like to act, you know, as action items where it's like it actually is changing laws. And I said, oh, I got to be a part of that, too. Yeah. Because before I was just like the political process, I was like politics, man, I don't believe none of them. But I was but the more I matured, I'm like, yo, this 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 shit is affecting us. Yeah. It matters. Yeah, Yeah. it matters. Well, how do you feel when Stacey seems like the ideal candidate you know she can put so much good out there and do good work and represent so many good values to move georgia forward and then on the other side it's like it's just like black and white right just like the polar opposite and then she loses by just a little bit how do you within yourself you know retain such optimism and say like all right well we came close and we made some small victories but like next time We'll get it. But isn't that the black experience in America where it's just like everything is like almost? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that's total the total black experience in America, but I think a lot of the black experience, if it can be defined in in in, in certain ways, I would say that it has been like being pushed and being like, I'm gonna go through this door. You push back, I'm gonna go through this door. You keep like moving forward, like the uh, what Dr. King and the people of the civil rights movement did to get voting laws, they had started that 10 years before. It didn't It didn't happen until 65, but they was working on it yeah. in 55 and doing these things. So then they got the pushback. And, they, st- you know, now 50 years later they're pushing back on, right. on those things. But you still got to consistently, like, move forward and know that, like, progress is, is 
going to have that struggle element to it. That's just what it's going to be because we in a country that was set up systemically and the mentality and philosophy was like, we are going to have people enslaved. So these people, and we're going to take these people's land. Those things like are not the basic principles you want to build in a house to set the house in the right place, right? Because it's like, man, you just, you got one a set of a whole race of people feeling like you telling them they three-fifths of a man. And then you take the other people's land and be like, this is ours now. We're going to destroy you. So how can you get happiness and, and peace in that type of, like, environment? You got to go back and deal with the wounds of the, of the situation, like the, the mistrust and the, and, the, and the fear and the pain that you've caused people. You got to address it and not, like, overlook it like it's not anything. That's why, you know, when we talk about slavery and we talk about being enslaved as people, some of it is just the acknowledgement so that you can move past it. Like, because if, if the country doesn't acknowledge it, then it's like it's looking, it's kind of overlooking the emotional pain that has caused the whole race of people. And and, the, and the, we as a people have been like, we inherited a lot of just, like, I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes, he was saying in this sermon, like, man, black people, for us, to a win was just survival for a long time. Just to survive, right? So, what becomes what about like the beyond survival like just the joys and and the and the peace and 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 tranquility that 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 the country promises when do we get to that level and i think that takes that takes the push and the overcoming what kind of relationship do you have with john lewis oh uh, man i um i first got to meet him on the set of selma and he's a brilliant man and always said little gems of wisdom for me and i'm like I guess, thank you, man. I'm grateful. He's a really good soul. I honor him and respect him. Um, have called him at times. To, I wanted him to be, when I was doing this performance at the Oscars, I was getting him, I wanted him to perform, I mean, not perform, be a part on the stage of the people that I was honoring um, as activists on stage. But he couldn't do it at that moment. He was on the Oscars the next year, mm-hmm. which was great. But I'm, I'm saying that to say I got a good bond with him and I hold him high. Is one of the leaders who helped change society for us. Most definitely. I want to go back to, you know, when you were uh, talking about visiting prisons and everything. Yeah. You know, you talk in your book about how important it was, you know, in, in realizing the, the limits of um, yourself, of your compassion, yeah. going to death row and saying, you know, how, how can I, within me, forgive people who have done, you know... Um, who have murdered, you know, scores yeah. of people. Yeah. You know, can you just talk about your experience? Yeah, that, I mean, you know, I, like, when I went into, like, a lot of these prisons, Calipatria, Ironwood, um, you know, um, a lot of the prisons, San Quentin, I, uh, you know, met people who I, who had committed murders, and the transformation in those individuals was so enlightening and so enlightened that I just was gravitated to them and learned a lot from them and was like meeting some of the the best human beings I ever met. And I think part of that is like when you've been through so much and you kind of rise above it, it, your light glows even more because it's like, yo, you've murdered somebody. You took somebody off the earth and you had to be at a heavy place. And for you to progress into a, a human being that cares and can acknowledge those things and go, then you know, it's a, that's a real journey. So I've seen that. But then to go to death row and 
that's people who've done like next levels of of you know crimes too and like murder in itself is already but to 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 be at the level that some of the people in death row it was hard for me to like grab on and find that forgiveness that I had for even some of the individuals who I met who had murdered in, uh, people. And mind you, I want to say that I care about the families who lost loved ones too. I'm not like looking over that, but yeah. I'm saying the healing it has to be a holistic thing in a way, like where the people who committed the crimes got to be rehabilitated and be treated so it's not a repetition and a cycle that goes out And for those families. And for those families who lost loved ones, they need the love too. But, man, death row, I didn't get there all the way. Though I did get some real some real um, good wisdom. Like, it was a dude that I was walking through. And he was like, yo, Common, yo, Common, that's you? What's up, man? Yo, yo, Common, man. Yo, keep doing your shit, man. Yo, get your money, man. But make sure you give back. And I was like, wow, this is, man, this dude will never see the light of day. But he telling me, make sure you give back. And it kind of just reminded me of what. You know, the purpose is even in the darkest of because death row is the darkest yeah. place I ever been in my life where it was like the building said this is the building of the condemned. Mm. And it was dark literally and it was just a dark energy there. And um, you know, that being said, from out of that darkness, this dude dropped a little gem, just a reminder of like, man, give back. Is that the and this is not the lesson at all to get from this, but is <laughs> that the weirdest place that you've been recognized? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think that definitely is the weirdest place. Um, I mean, I, I actually, more than places, I'm actually bugging out on some of the people that know me now. Like, I could be at the airport and it's like, it could be like a 65-year-old older white lady and she'll be like, Common, I really like that show. Or I liked you on Hell on Wheels. Or... You know, his parents that come to Yo, me and be like, by the our, way, our mom yeah, is yeah. so pissed that yeah. she's not here right now. Yo, our your mom, mom loves yeah, you. Our mom loves yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was bummed about so we just interviewed Trevor Noah. She was bummed that she wasn't there for that. Yeah. She was bummed that she's not here for this. Yeah, the Yo. Killer Mike episode, she was mad she missed well, that but one. But Killer Mike shouted her out. Actually, that, that, you could shout her out. I'm about to shout her out. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as you said mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's her name? No, Marjorie. Marjorie, I just got to say love to you. You get ultimate love. I'm... I'm honored you even know who I am. Thank you and blessings to you. I know you're a beautiful person. You birthed these two crazy ones here. <laughs> and the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The blessings. Um, who do you get mistaken for? Um, man, it's so strange because people have called me everybody from most deaf <laughs> to Questlove. What? Where did they get Questlove yeah. from? Well, to, to Omari Hardwick mm -hmm. or some to... Man, to be honest, some at one point it was like years ago. They was like, "Is that R. Kelly?" No, uh, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah Chicago. Yeah, I have yeah, nothing. Yeah. I have yeah. nothing else to say about what, that. I don't know. Like people sometimes, I think just see somebody a face. Yeah. And sometimes they because me and Quest don't look nothing alike. <laughs> no. Me and most don't even look alike. Q-tip. I've been called Q-tip. Man. At least those people are like sort of on the right path, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, like where it's just like, oh, like I, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a, there's a scene here. Right. That's yeah. like you when must people, be one of them. That's like when people confuse like you know Styles and Jada Kiss. It's like, well, sure. You right, know, right, yeah. right. 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 Yeah. I, and that's what some of that stems from. I yeah. Think, you know, to yeah. be honest, they're like Soulquarian. Uh, right. 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 Uh, Questlove. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, that. when when was the last time you had hair? 
man, the last time I hair, had hair was I was 25 years ago. So that was I was 25. That was 22 years ago. Wow. I was four. I'm 47. So that was like, whew, yeah. And I and it was tough because when I was losing my hair, it was like, damn. I I, I was trying to hold on to it, and my mm-hmm. barber was like. Nah, bro, it's it's going, man. It's, Your barber told you that. Yeah, he's like, I mean, I was like, man, can you keep the line? He's like, yo, the line is. <laughs> yeah, the line what, is. What you want me to do? The line do? is retreating. <laughs> you know, I mean, the line is going back. I I can't do nothing, you know. Just color it in. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But I mean, you know, and it was at a time too where people were wearing their hair really like long, like um, you know, cornrows. It was like the mid nineties. Yeah. So I was like late 90s 29s yeah so it was like whoa man i need you know and i i don't like doing everything that everybody does but oh, yeah, i just yeah. wanted to have the freedom to so now you know only through facial hair can yeah, I express yeah, yeah. It, was, my, it was limiting yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know but it was it was a little i always initially attributed my balding to the stress of the music industry <laughs> at one point and in yeah. the same token it was a time where they were there was a group out in California that was suing me for the name Common Sense, mm-hmm. and I was just stressing out over that shit because it was like, damn, like, dang, man, like, these dudes, like, I, I, I earned this name, I worked to get this name, and now they taking my name, so. And yeah. your hair. And my, <laughs> and my hair. Yeah. And my hair. Um, when you look back at B, do you consider it to be your finest work? Um, I think between B and Like Water for Chocolate, mm-hmm. I consider it to be my finest um i think b overall had the elements of the artistry slash being able to appeal to a, a broader audience because kanye is produced production wise and even when he working on choruses is, is really a genius at making music that has the soul and heart but it still can reach the masses yeah and um, i think that album possessed that energy as far as like it was my soul and his soul like collectively creating this music but the hooks were something that I could sing at any place and people would know it like the thing with a like water for chocolate was very artistic and like I was pushing the envelope doing songs that was inspired by Fela Kuti and doing songs that sounded like James Brown everybody's not going to rock all the way with that that's not something that's like always mainstream but it still had his artistic impact that i really valued you know and it ended up you know the light is still one of the biggest songs that i perform when i perform it and um i mean one of the biggest songs i've had so i I would say those two go back and forth for me and this new project is aligned with that b like water for chocolate energy of just artistic creativity and soul. Um, I want to get to a place of personal security and happiness the way that Common has because Common just dropped a whole bunch of cash on the floor. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I guess my follow-up question is, can I borrow a dollar? <laughs> I guess we got past that, right? <laughs> we got past that. Um, what made you guys choose the, the, the performance that you did on Chappelle's show to be on the album man you know when we actually got to dave Chappelle's show to do that song the food um which was the first song kanye had produced for me for that for the b album it was f- funny enough story about that was i was going to meet him at the studio and he was producing for somebody else and he made that beat and was like 
I walked in and was like, ooh, and he was like, you like this? Oh man, go ahead, take it. But but you gotta leave, take it. So I just took that beat and like. Who was, it, who was the other artist? I think he was producing it for Eve. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So so, so um. Not anymore. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I mean, she she ended up okay. Yeah. 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 Eve was great. Eve was great. So I mean, but it's it's I think things work in divine order. He knew I was coming to the studio. Kanye had always at one point wanted to produce music for me. So, but because no ID was there, I was like, man, no ID. Yeah, your beats is getting there, but they not on this level yet. But he was he was there. But I just you know kind I kind of was stuck in my ways too. So that being said, um, when we did the food, it was like we got to Dave Chappelle set and they had us like they had it set up where I was gonna perform in some like like in front of candles and a chimney and it just looked like real like co- <laughs> coffee shop what we used to call coffee shop was yeah, that earthy yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I was like, nah, I ain't on that. You right. know, I know I just came from wearing crochet and all <laughs> yeah. that, you know, those. Yeah, nah, this is an electric circuit. No, nah, it's yeah, not yeah. that. It's not, I was, you know, I move, I progress. So we just so happened to see this kitchen in the, in the, on the set. And we was like, yo, the name of the song is The Food. Let's do it in the kitchen. You know, it just sounded like a good idea. We just did it. And because when I listened to the recorded version, and compared it to the Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle just had more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were like, man, let's just do the day. Plus, you know, in in the making of B, we just we thought it was a real unique touch to have a live song on it, you know, because we was doing just experimenting with different things too. Just like the song we have um called Real People on yeah. on on B. Kanye is like just hitting he's he's playing the sample himself like just manually is he never looped it he just played it and we just was trying things out so that was why we chose to have that live performance was it like a bitch to um to clear that because comedy central probably owned that yeah, version they it was a little bitch to, <laughs> it was a little bitch to clear but thank god dave dave is our guy he yeah. had, you know could make it happen but we even had uh they even like narrowed down. He had a longer intro for for us and different stuff. Mm-hmm. So we had to go through those stipulations. But I mean, shoot, we probably some of the. I'm probably one of the only artists that got Dave Chappelle on their album. So pretty great, yeah. yeah. It's pretty great. Do you remember when Dave guest edited Double XL magazine? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we did the cover. Yeah, what yeah. was that experience like? Man, I, I felt really like super honored and, and geeked up because. I had never been on any covers. Right. I, I wasn't on the cover of the source. I never was on the cover of Double XL. <laughs> never was on the cover of um Vibe or any yeah. of those magazines. So Or the Delta magazine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, well I've reached that now. I've been yeah. on the Delta. Fly Delta, you'll see. <laughs> but uh they um man, when we got that cover, I was like, man, it's just a good time for us. Cause I was like, Dave Chappelle is, is still to this day one of the greatest not only comedians, but just tastemakers and thought, like he's a thought leader. He's just an ingenious human being. And for him to select us, you know, his show is the big, biggest thing on TV, like one of the biggest things out. And for him to be like, this is, these are the artists that I put my stamp on and, and I love. And, you know, when we all were there, I was like, you know, it was, it was like one of those things where, you know, being an artist that is like, sometimes can go left or being known as an underground artist at, at different times to get that type of recognition. You just feel like some victory in what you do. Cause when you making music and you never hear your stuff on the radio too much, and you never, you know, you don't see your stuff in those popular places. 
when you do get a cover, when you get a stamp from Dave Chappelle, it's like, all right, man, this, I'm getting some air to breathe when it comes to the to the masses. Yeah. Did you have that same feeling when you were in American Gangster? Oh, man. That was a, a, it was a little different feeling, but it was, it was the feeling of, man, I'm on this set with Denzel Washington, and it's directed by Ridley Scott, and I'm going to be in scenes with Ruby D, who's one of the great act, mm-hmm. actresses, um, actors ever. God bless her soul. Mm-hmm. But the Denzel factor was the first key. Like, I'm in a movie with Denzel, and I'm about to, my thing was like, I'm about to learn as much as I can. And I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. I'm just going to watch. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And um, he he really was like a, man, a, the, the quintessential, like, leading man, actor, knew how to, like, he was really treating us like his brothers. Like, he lived in the in the, in the character. Well, did and, you too? Because they, they fit you in, like, period clothes. And that yeah. that's not like, you know, the loose clothing we have today. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I was I was in that character. Like, meaning... <laughs> I only had two lines in that movie, mm-hmm. right? When the when the script, yeah. I probably ended up with a few more lines in the movie. Flex. But but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I but I'll say, I gave, I lived in that in that character. Like it's you know, I like to give myself to a character, you know, and just I want that character to come alive. I don't if you know, when you watch a film, I want you to see whoever that character is more than you see common. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if it's elements of me that I can that I need to bring, I will. But overall, it's like I want to create that whoever that character is written to be. I want to create that, and that's what I did for American Gangster as much as possible. Though I was playing Ti's father, which yeah. was crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, what was so funny is like during that time, Ti would walk around and be like, "What's up, Pop?" I'd be like, hey, look, dude, I'm only eight years old. I wasn't getting. I wasn't getting sex at eight years old, all right? Let's be realistic. You know, you, you've been now on a bunch of movie sets. Um, who have you messed up your lines most in front of? I would say um, Denzel was one. Those few two lines, I, I was like, I think I was nervous. I was nervous. No, I think I was nervous. And then it also was, he was providing, really Scott was giving us space to ad-lib. And Denzel had to tell me, man, like, yo, you know this world, like, better than, he basically was saying, like, you a black dude, you can, you know what to say in this situation, what this character would say. Mm-hmm. You're, you're playing a black guy, you know, like, you gotta, and, and, you know, I was able to just get open and free at that point, and, um. He was like, you were selling heroin back in <laughs> yeah. 1976, remember? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, come on, man. You lived this life, yeah, this bro. This is like Eminem like, in 8 Mile. Like, yeah, exactly, man. Just play like, yourself. Just be yourself. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. I mean, I think I've also had Morgan Freeman. I was in the movie Wanted, and we were filming, but it was like, we were filming in Prague, and it was really late night, and it was like 5 in the morning, and... You know, actors at the level of Morgan Freeman sometimes don't do off-camera work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember him staring at me and said, look, I'm going to stay here for you. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, I still was fumbling them lines. He probably was like, hurry up, man. I'm ready to go to sleep. But, I, you know, it, you know, it's part of the process. I'm, I, I've learned a lot from all those guys. Yeah. What do you do in ladies. the trailer during the, you know, hurry up and wait time? Man, that is something I had to learn. Um, to, to like, cause I usually would just try to stay in character, 
and like be focused on whatever I have to do. I'll tell you the things I don't do. I don't watch TV. Um, I don't go on my phone. I don't um, listen to anything that's not in the world of what we're doing. Um, so I kind of do stay in the zone overall. It's not like I'll fall asleep or whatever. Or, <laughs> you know, I'll do things that, you know, eat and do normal things. But I don't like try to bring into the world too much other stuff. Like um, even to the point where people who are close to me, they can only visit a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to. <laughs> that and because I'm not having them come in talking about, yo, you just saw what happened on on the shade room or blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, or this. Did you hear what happened? I, I, no. I, right. I, I got to focus on this. That has nothing to do with this world that I'm living in right now. So that, but I really had to learn that lesson about how to pace myself too because the first movie I was on was called Smoking Aces. Mm-hmm. And first day of filming, they my call time was 6 a.m. So I got to the trailer at 6 a.m. And then they sent me the hair and makeup, blah, blah, blah. Well, I just makeup. Makeup, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do wear makeup in movies, okay? Right. No, but, just not the hair stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, y'all said no hair? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I need my body cut right. <laughs> Look, my body takes 40 minutes to get cut. It's a lot of makeup on there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, so, so I, yo, they, I was there and, and I'm thinking we're going to get to my scene in the morning. It became lunchtime. I'm sitting in the in the trailer, like literally, like staying in character, like just zoning, thinking about looking at whatever research materials I have, and just it was lunch. It was like it's lunchtime. You want to come out? I barely wanted to go out the trailer because I just didn't know how to pro- like what to do. I've been acting in class, but I'd never been on set. Then it it became. I went to lunch. It became four o'clock. Nothing happening. Now, I've been there since six. I'm like, shoot, when are they going to get to my scene? Mm-hmm. They're telling me they're running behind. <laughs> it, it's like six o'clock, and they say, man, Common, we're not going to get to your scene today. I start taking off my, my you know, clothes and to change into my clothes, my regular clothes. I'm walking out of my trailer. They, <laughs> Common, get dressed. We need you for the scene. <laughs> I said, yo, I got dressed, went in there and did my thing, but it just showed me the ups and downs, the weight, the and how to process, you know, being in that trailer. On your new album coming up, we know that you have this Dilla beat that's never been heard before. Yes. What did that mean to you to put this on your album? Man, it's, I think I was really overwhelmed when Kareem... Kareem Riggins first mm-hmm. played me like the Dilla beats because Dilla and I were roommates when he transitioned. And I would watch him make these beats in our front room. And then he made some from his hospital bed. So it made me know that this beat was made at some point where I was around. And, you know, it was even another unreleased Dilla beat that that Kareem reminded me that Dilla made this beat for you. I was like, whoa. Because initially, I, I always used to think, like, man, I shouldn't touch any Dilla beats because I want him to approve of it. I want him, like, us to be creating this together. But as I got into understanding that, man, these were beats he created while, while I was around, and I think started to really 
understand and step back and say, man, he would want his music out. And this is a way to pay tribute and honor him. I was like, I listened to the beats. And I was like, man, this is the beat I'm going to use. And it was this music that he has sampled and this sample, this beautiful sample. And I was like, man, what am I going to write to this? And I started a song called Her Love. And it was really about, it was talking about hip hop now and like how I feel about her now. And I was like, man, this would be dope over. So I rhymed it a little bit over the Dilla beat. But the rhyme didn't fit it all the way. So I went back and rewrote the rap. And literally out of any song on this album, I think I I did the most takes working this song out because I just felt that delicate with it. And that I cared that much about, like, this got to be right. This is a Dilla song. Like, yeah, and you can't switch around his stuff. Yeah. So you, yeah. Have to fit, you, know, you have to fit into his thing. I fit into his thing. And, yeah. uh, and it, it turned out, man, I really am... Um, enthused and, and I love the song it's called Her Love and it's featuring Daniel Caesar and mm. and Dwelle both of them are, are vocalists on the song and um, the beat is, is got the energy and spirit of Dilla and I feel like we honor him by doing this song about hip hop and where hip hop is now so I feel like I can't wait till we get to it's, it's, it's coming out yeah, now. Yeah. It's, it's coming out this week. Well, congratulations on that. Congratulations yeah. on your book and all the movies and all the television and everything. And I'm so glad that we got to make this happen. Yes, and man. we could do this for hours and hours. And I hope you'll come back or uh, we come back or whatever. Yeah, well, we, we, yeah. we, we, we yeah. connect again. I love getting to talk with you guys. Most definitely. And moms, once again, peace. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for... For the love. It's Mar- Margie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Margie, and, shout out to Margie. And, and and listen, man, just like your hairline, we appreciate you going back. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> thanks so much, Tom. All right, please, y'all. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, people want to find out more about us. I'm Eric, you're Jeff. Together, we're It's The Real, no apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast of ours, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. People want to find out more about what's going on with us. Jeff, where can they Go! You can always go to itstherreal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. Everything you could ever want, everything you could ever hope for, everything you could ever dream of, it's on itstherreal.com. I'm talking mugs. I'm talking t-shirts. I'm talking our newsletter, which is bi-weekly because the people demanded it. Itstherreal.com. They said every six weeks is too much to wait. Send it to us every every other week. So if you go to itsthereal.com right now, you can sign up for the newsletter. You can buy some merch. You can support your boys, It's The Real. Or you can find all of our podcasts that we've recorded. You can listen to all of our old episodes and our new ones if you go to any streaming service. We're available on all of them, including, but not limited to, Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, and Google Play. You can always follow us on Twitter at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real, and Facebook at It's The Real. Jeff, this is the time where we do shout-outs. We like to shout-out people who are loyal listeners. And you know what? I think for the both of us, we can answer that today the only person that we want to shout is our most loyal listener, our brother Dan, who, shout-out to him, is in the future. It's so weird. Dan is and will be for the next almost three weeks in Tokyo, Japan, consulting for the Tokyo Giants, the professional baseball team out there in Tokyo, Japan. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a clever name. Shout out to Dan because this is something where 
Dan's been doing a lot of traveling. Dan is excited to try new things and experience new things and thought, you know what? I'd like to go to Japan. Cold emailed some people over at the Giants, sent his resume through, and they were like, please come here and work for us and enjoy your time out here. Dan got there a couple days ago, or I don't even know how time works anymore. Yeah. Somewhat this weekend. Dan got out there. Dan is in Japan. Dan's in the future. Yeah. And we FaceTimed with him this morning. I couldn't be more proud of him, more excited for what he's doing, and just super pumped for him to enjoy everything that comes with being in Tokyo for almost three weeks. Yeah. And speaking of the future, Jeff, next week's episode of the podcast for Father's Day is going to be a pretty great one. It's going to be crazy. Like, I... <laughs> I still cannot believe that we got this thing done. Guys, look forward to that episode. Tune back in next week. As always, Jeff, not for real, for real. For sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right.